Good morning and welcome to Celebration Church. <laughs> Let's all stand together. As our campus journalist, I've been adjusting my microphone, that's why they're all giggling. And I pulled it off just in time. <clears throat> Let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are, what we believe at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us. Good morning to those of you in Stevens Point and Appleton. Good to have you as well. Today is Father's Day. Greetings for all the fathers out there. Give it up for the fathers. And today is the first day of summer. Woo-hoo! Which in Wisconsin means nothing. So and hopefully we get summer this year. We didn't get summer last year. It was like, what the heck was that? Anyway, hopefully we'll have some nice sunny days. It'll be nice. AJ and Shelly. How do you say the last name? I don't quite ever get this. You know how to say it? Belargen. There we go. Pastor Joe could say it. Uh, are the proud parents of Jason Paul born on Monday? Give it up for AJ and Shelly. Hallelujah. <laughs> Although I heard Shelly did most of the work. Uh, <laughs> AJ had a small part. Anyway, uh, Paul and Nicole Killian adopted a little boy, which they named River. <laughs> kind of a cool name, River. All right. Um, we like babies around here. We'll take them any way we can get them. Hallelujah. Uh, uh, many people have been asking about my lovely bride, Debbie, sitting on the front row today. Hi, Debbie. As uh, most of you know, she's been uh, struggling with, uh, with cancer and, uh, you know, been having initially a really, really hard time and a rough go of it. And uh, you've all been standing together praying with us, as have people all over the world, literally. Uh, it's all the encouragements that we get. It's, it's quite wonderful. And uh, uh, it was, uh, you know, not looking real good for a while there. It was a little scary uh, one of the things that they do, I mean, they, they scan you to take a look at the tumors, but they can only scan so often, or if they scan too much, that'll give you another kind of cancer. So it's like what it is. So one of the things they do is they uh, do blood tests, and they follow these things called tumor markers, which are indicative of what's happening on the inside of you. And as you can see from the graph that we're popping up here, that her tumor markers were climbing precipitously from down in the normal to all of a sudden just climbing up to almost a thousand, and uh, and we just kept praying and praying and praying. About three weeks ago, they saw this. Yeah. Doctors said they were shocked. Hallelujah! We like to shock people, so. Uh, 
Um, so what does this mean? It means she's doing much better and feeling lots of better, and we're just trusting God for a complete and total miracle. We say, well, what if you don't get the ultimate miracle in the end? Well, we serve God. The beautiful thing about loving and knowing Jesus is you win no matter what. Right? Like the country artist that was in Green Bay last night. What's his name again? Chesick. By the way, have you, this has nothing to do with you people over in the other campuses, but did you try driving around Green Bay yesterday? Those are the meanest, rudest, nastiest drivers I have ever seen. I mean, I, I thought I was in Boston, man. What the heck was that? Packer fans are nice when they drive. I don't know. Too much whiskey or something in the uh, country fans, but wow. Ooh, like, everything was a personal challenge to them. But anyway, he has a song. Does everybody likes to go to heaven? Just not now. <laughs> so, of course, we all want to push it off as far as we can. Listen, at some point, we all have to remember, it is a prayer that we won't get answered. Everybody goes. We all go. Now, we want to be as old and crotchety as we possibly can before we do. But, uh, you know, this is a temporary life. We're just coming. We're passing through. Our focus is not here. It's there. Somebody say amen. Anyway, thank you for your prayers and continue to pray for us and let's continue to see God do some stuff that just keeps shocking all the doctors. It'll be wonderful. Um, this morning, we're continuing our series. We're in a series called Faith 101 where we're dealing with some of the fundamental questions of the Christian faith. Now, some of you who've been in Christianity for a long time uh, and part of this church and other churches like it know these things fairly well. Uh, but in our kind of a church that's growing very quickly, new people are always coming in. There's people coming in that they have really no idea about these things. That's why we're talking about them. And even those of us who have known them, it's always good to be reminded. Even as I've been studying for these things, it's good to just kind of remind yourself about some of these fundamental truths. Now, today we want to answer the question, why the Bible? What's with the Bible? Why do we have a Bible? In Hebrews, we read this, these words, for the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. The word of God is very powerful. Now, the Bible uh, contains our spiritual history. In fact, the history of all mankind. Uh, it covers a span of approximately four thousand years. Um, now, most of it, the, oh, it's broken into two parts. We've got the Old Testament and the New Testament. The Old Testament is a part that covers these 4,000 years and can be uh, rather complex, uh, difficult to read. I guess we're talking thousands of years of human history that oftentimes the writers, the prophets and stuff are talking about nations and kingdoms and events that we have no idea what to talk about. I mean, you can study it, but it's very exhausting. To what end? I don't know why you'd study it, but you can. Uh, and it gets very difficult. And I don't know who decided on the order of books in the Old Testament, but they were into the wine or something, man. I mean, because it's not even close to being in order. The first several books are in order, like maybe the five, five or six of them, seven, whatever it is. And then from there on, it just goes nuts. There's books that should be at the end, stuck right in the middle, and this and that. And you try and read it in order, it's really confusing. Uh, it's easy enough to go and Google uh, the chronological order of the books of the Old Testament. If you actually read them in the order they were written, it makes a lot more sense. Okay, but even then, it's, it's very uh, difficult to read and, and to comprehend. We just finished it going through the Old Testament in our um, 
Wednesday night Bible studies. This fall, we'll pick it up back again in the New Testament. But uh, now, conversely, comparatively, the Old Testament, 4,000 years. The New Testament covers a span of just 70 years. It's quite stunning. Everything that we read in the New Testament happened in one generation. And uh, compared to what we have in the Old Testament, what happens in the New is really shocking, comparatively much easier to understand. Uh, The Christian faith is a lot less complicated than the Jewish faith that we we were brought out from. I mean, it's all connected, and it's good to read both. But uh, our focus is on the New Testament. In the Bible, we learn how we got here. We're not an accident. I know there's a lot of argument oftentimes on the first book, uh, first chapters of the book of Genesis. Exactly how all that happened is of little concern to me. What's important is that God did this. We are here on purpose. We are not the result of some galactic burp out there and just climbed out of the primordial slime one day up into a tree, started swinging like a monkey and fell out in a business suit. All right? (laughs) We're here on purpose, intentionally. God did this. And in the Bible, we read of God's plan. The plan that he had for mankind, a plan of redemption. Because shortly after the establishment of this beautiful planet with Adam and Eve in the garden, uh, Adam and Eve fell. Now, there's always speculation, how long did that take? Were Adam and Eve walking around that garden for millions of years or whatever, you know? We don't know. Nobody knows. Knowing most people, my guess, it took about an hour and a half (laughs) before they messed the whole thing up. I don't, think, I don't think they got to dinner time. <laughs> what tree did he say not to eat from? Well, look at that. It's a pretty tree. And, uh, and off to the races we went. So a God, right away from the beginning, set into, his, into play his plan for the redemption of mankind to show his love towards us. Uh, here we see how our faith came to be. So that's the important thing of the Bible. You get to understand, how did we get here? Who are we as people of faith. Now, the Bible is very important. Now, oftentimes you'll hear a debate or an argument about uh, whether or not the Bible is inerrant, the inerrant word of God. Most evangelical churches, you go into what they believe, and we believe in the inerrant word of God. I think it's really bad phraseology. It just gets us in trouble. What they're trying to say is there's there's no mistakes in the Bible. We believe there's no mistakes in the Bible concerning God's truth. God didn't make mistakes. But it was written by men, and there are little tiny inconsistencies and contradictions and different viewpoints that you read in the Bible that can be a little confusing. It's just uh, the fact that humans wrote it. What's amazing is that in a document that spans that many millennium, written by so many different authors, authors, the contradictions are extremely small and of no consequence whatsoever. And the number of mistakes of human error in copying whatever are almost minuscule. It is stunning. Now, some of you are getting ready to go into college. Uh, and, uh, you know, as you get out there, they'll start eating you alive once they find out you're a Christian and try and convince you of all the contradictions and stuff in the Bible. Listen, what they're talking about is little piddly squat stuff that doesn't mean a hill of beans. Someone will say, this event happened here. Well, then this chapter says, well, it happened here. Uh, little timeline things. You know, it just, it doesn't change anything. Uh, even when there's multiple, and a lot of these things, there were multiple people telling the same story. The similarities are overwhelming, establishing the truth of these events. 
little tiny inconsistencies that they'll try and point out. They try to dismiss the Bible, but it's absurd. It's ridiculous. It would be like there were no such things as videos and recorders and stuff today. And then 2,000 years from now, people read about the events of what happened on 9-11. One person writing would say, listen, there was a plane that crashed into the building and thousands of people died. It was a terrible, terrible day. Another account would say there was a plane crash in the building and a few hours later, a second plane crashed into the other tower and thousands of people died. Someone else will write, there were these huge explosions and there was such heat and eventually the buildings crumbled to the ground. Now, those three events are all actually true. They don't contradict each other. But to say, listen, one said just one plane, another one said two, and the other one didn't mention any planes. They said they crumbled to the ground, the other one didn't mention they were crumbled to the ground. Therefore, it never happened. It's absurd. Are you understanding me? So don't let them mess with your heads. They just want to desperately try and disprove the Bible because they're not living by it. And Jesus said, the world will hate, hated me and they will hate you. So that's the Bible. It contains God's truth and who we are and where we came from. Now, in the Bible, we re are revealed about God's love for us and it gives us his clear plan of salvation. We read about it in Romans, the fifth chapter. He said, God demonstrated his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us, which is the amazing thing. When we were at our worst, when you were in your worst condition, no matter what you've done, as you listen to me this morning, and thousands of people listen to me all over North Central and uh, Northeastern Wisconsin on television, doesn't matter what you've done, where you've been, the mistakes you've made, the people you've hurt, there's forgiveness for you if you'll come to God and confess your sins, ask him into your life. That's the good news of Christianity. You don't have to get right first before you believe. You believe right away and he makes us right. And it's a wonderful thing. Uh, the Bible shows us God's faithful promises, which will help you to live a successful life. Peter wrote, he says, through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world caused by evil desires. These great and precious promises will help change your life and help you succeed in life. Now, the problem is they can't help you if you don't know them. That's why you need to read it, all right? And again, I would spend my time as a Christian believer reading the New Testament. You get the hang of that, then you go jump back in the Old Testament again. That's a lot more complicated and to what end. Uh, but the important thing is to understand who we are as Christians and how we should live and to see God's promises for us. They're very powerful and they will help you through life. When you start having struggles in life, and as Shakespeare wrote, we experience the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. It's the one thing I remember from high school. The slings and arrows of outrageous fortune. When you start having these slings and arrows coming at you, you can be more than a conqueror. Doesn't mean you won't have slings and arrows. Oh, you'll have them. But we'll be able to overcome them because of our faith and knowing God's promises. If you don't know God's promises, when the slings and arrows hit you, you just moan and groan and cry. And you will be very defeated. And I'm sure there are those listening to me right now who are very defeated in life, even though you're Christians, but you don't know any of the promises of God. It can't build your faith. And you can come to me and I can tell you, but it's not the same as if you learn it. Any teacher will tell you that someone only really learns stuff when they start to discover things for themselves and put things together. Uh, if I was a teacher and we're getting ready for a big test and all I did was give you the answers, it's not particularly helpful. I just took a boating safety course. Those of you on the water will be glad. But anyway, and uh, 
you know, they're trying desperately to make sure everybody passes. And there was one really complicated question, and the answer is D, you know. So, I mean, they're just telling us what the answer was. You don't really think things through that way. I could get you ready for a test and just tell you what all the answers are, and question 45 is, is you know, minus three or whatever, and you will pass the test, but you don't learn anything. Uh, we'll be more than happy to point you in the right direction and give you advice as you go through struggles in life. But you really need to get this in you. And, uh, you know, it doesn't happen automatically. Just because you come to church and sit in church, it isn't really getting in you unless you go home and you actually take some active steps to get this inside you. Read the Bible. Learn these promises. The Bible shows us how to live. Okay? Now, here, our concern is strictly the teachings of the New Testament. Don't get caught up in the teachings of the Old Testament. And it seems, you know... Pastor Lathan and I have been around for a couple of years. <laughs> Every so often in Christianity, there seems to be a wave of people coming up with some stuff from the Old Testament. It's been a while. You know, I'm sure it's going to show up again at some point. But uh, when some nitrod comes around and starts telling you that, well, the Old Testament says such or such, you should just smile and ignore them. We do not live by the Old Testament. We live by the New Testament. Trust me, you don't want to live by the Old Testament. The Old Testament law is very strict. Well, we're just picking out these important things. No, Bible teaches us if you're going to live by all of it, any of it, you got to live by all of it. Right now, you can use advice from the Old Testament if you want, but I'm just not a strict law, you know? Don't let anybody come around and tell you you can't eat pork, all right? Well, the Bible says you shouldn't eat pork, all right? There's a pork lover right there, all right? So, um, you know, if you're living by the Old Testament law, yeah, you're not supposed to eat pork, okay? If you're Jewish, okay, sucks to be you, <laughs> You know, I like bacon. So, um, as New Testament, we don't now, the Bible will explain to you why we don't, and I don't have time to get into that, or we'll never get out of here. But uh, there's reasons why, but there's a difference. Something happened because of what Jesus did on the cross for us, and it changes the rules. Don't let people, you know, get all over. Usually people start moaning and groaning about things like Christmas and Christmas trees. You know, the Old Testament says you're not supposed to decorate trees. Or you know, they're just Old Testament nitwits. Just stop. You know, we're not... Worshipping some idol is just a Christmas tree. According to the Old Testament, you're not supposed to have any graven images. If you have a garden gnome, you're evil. All right? But we're Christians. The rules change for us. You know, people pick on the Old Testament. You know, you're not supposed to do things like tattoos. <sighs> Again, the Old Testament, ignore them. You want to add a tattoo? Tattoo away. What do I care? You know, just keep in mind. If you're young, those are going to change. Right? <laughs> that pretty little bird is someday going to look like a demon from hell. <laughs> you know, it's all stretched out. My advice, don't do the stupid tattoo. You know, what's the matter? You, you know, well, it's cool. It's cool now. Do you notice things don't stay vogue for a real long time? You know, I can show you pictures of me when I was 20 years old, and you will laugh and laugh and laugh. The difference is I could change. See, the tattoo is not going to change, except into a after a while, all right? But you want to get a tattoo? Tattoo away. What do I care? All right? Actually, my objection is the pain. <laughs> I'd be screaming like a three-year-old girl. <laughs> Don't stick me. But the Bible, when we talk about how we live, we focus on the New Testament. We're people of Christian faith. And the New Testament is very clear. It's not very complicated, by the way. The simplicity of the Christian faith is actually rather stunning. 
That's why it's called the good news. All right? You want to live by all those mosaic rules or other religions' rules? Man, they get very heavy and burdensome. It's a drag. You don't see a lot of that in Christianity. Praise the Lord. All right? We are supposed to live by love and not do harm to our neighbor. And this is very simple. And stay away from basic, you know, this very simple list of immoral things we're supposed to avoid and greed and things, you know. But by and large, it's, it's fairly simple. The New Testament will teach you as Christians how we should relate to each other. How a man should relate to his wife, how a wife should respond to her husband, how parents should deal with their children, how those children are to be responsible to their parents, the dynamics in the church of elders and pastors and people, how we're all supposed to work and respect uh, one another. Even talks about how we should work together as employees and employers. Now, it doesn't use that terminology. It uses servants and masters and even slaves. But you have to understand, up until a few, you know, not even a few, a couple hundred years ago, barely 150 years ago, you either owned your own land and worked it or you worked it for somebody else or you were a slave or a servant to somebody who told you what to do. There wasn't a middle class, uh, you know. So there was lots of people who were either masters of servants or were servants, obviously more servants than masters, and many of them were Christians. The Bible talks about how to interact with each other. We would interpret that today in the context of, you know, responding to your employer, employees, and stuff like that. Uh, but ultimately, the importance of the Bible is it gives us God's standards. It is against these standards that we must always measure ourselves. So when we are pushed around by a secular culture and want to change the way we think, we need to measure that. Well, how does that measure up against what the Bible teaches? And you'll always see us get to back what the Bible teaches. Now, there are a lot of debatable areas, you know, that churches debate, you know, whether or not you can have a, you know, like a woman pastor or not and stuff like that. And churches take different stands. But everybody still goes running back to the Bible. What does the Bible say about this? And, uh, and uh, that will always need to be our standard. If we didn't have the Bible, you young people, if there was no Bible, then you just make this stuff up. Nobody knows what to believe. Nobody knows what's really right or wrong. They just do whatever's in our heart, and it would all be a disaster. There's a reason. There's a standard. We need to come back to the standard. It's the mirror. You need to look in the mirror, or you won't look as good as you look right now. Okay? Thank God for mirrors. Somebody say amen. All right? It gives us a clue of what's going on. That's what the Bible is. It's the mirror. We've got to compare ourselves. Oh, okay. And we need to keep living according to that. Now, let me talk about these standards. Number one, we do not meet these standards to make God like you. Remember what we just read. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us in the first place. He loves you. You don't have to meet the standards to make him love you. The reason that we encourage you to meet the standards is that so God can bless you. Now, if you don't need God to answer your prayers and you don't need God to bless you and you think you can just do life on your own, lots of luck with that, you know? Say, well, I think God is still answer my prayers and I can still do all these wrong things. Yeah, lots of luck with that. That's all I can tell you. I'm telling you, it's not true. Your life will not be blessed and you will struggle greatly. Now, um, we strive to meet these standards so we can experience God's blessings in our lives. We need to challenge each other to meet these standards. We're not supposed to beat up each other. And it's kind of a tricky thing, okay? In a church like ours, there are new people that are coming to faith. And they're experiencing Jesus for the first time. And this is all very new to them. Some of them, it's a matter of months that you've been coming. And your life has been changed. But some of them, their life's still kind of screwy. And they're still doing goofy things. Uh, you know, a uh, you know, very common one is fornicating. 
you know, having sex outside of marriage, living with each other and stuff like that. You know what? We tell you about this. We're not trying to beat you up. We're not trying to be mean to you. We're trying to challenge you. And we need to be patient with some of these people, help them kind of unscramble the eggs in their lives. You go 20, 30, 40, 50, some people 60 years before they come to Jesus, things are a little complicated, okay? It doesn't mean we need to go around and beat the snot out of people with each other. Now, the Bible does talk about discipline in the church, but that's, you know, with people who are more mature and should really know better. And it's not just a matter of knowing here. What we need to get you is to know it here. Once you start to really get it from here to here, it changes you. But you have it here and here, and then you start disobeying it, you know, then the hammer falls, biblically speaking. That's when you start running into problems. You know, Pastor Bob starts fornicating. We're going to have issues, all right? Uh, it's, it's, uh, we're not going to have that. You know, if you got Jeff Bricker over in Stevens Point fornicating, we're going to have some issues. Although I'm pretty sure Tammy will kill him. We won't have to have those issues. Ben King and Appleson starts fornicating his wife. Well, if he, she doesn't kill him, Lisa won't kill him, then we're going to have to deal with him, all right? The, the hammer comes down. As Christians, we're supposed to be very strong about what's right and wrong. But again, even those who are first coming, you got to cut them some slack. And I hope those of you who are new and still struggling still feel loved and appreciated by us, but we're going to keep getting in your face and challenging. Not mean, kind of prodding along, you know, come on, come on. You know, it's like, you know, a little kid when he's first learning, you know, falls on his face and falls on their butts and you pick them up, try it again, and they fall on their butts. It's like, you know, now if you're 27, you know, doing that, we got issues, all right? So it's a different deal. But we cut people slack. Uh, but there are standards. And again, the standards are so that God will bless you. It's not about being holier than anybody else. It's about blessing people. But one thing, and I want to wrap it up with this uh, on, on this Sunday. We are not to use Christian standards to beat up non-Christians. And that, for the love of heaven, I do not understand. Our Christian has major preachers and teachers and pastors all over kingdom come that just yell and scream when non-Christians do bad things. And I'm like, hello, they're non-Christians. And if you have a neighbor who never does those bad things and still doesn't believe in Jesus, he's in the same place as somebody who's committing adultery next to you. They don't know. If you don't know the Son of God, the Bible says, that's the problem. We shouldn't be running around yelling. Now, I say that for the context of this whole debate about gays today. And everybody having a fit, and we're reading about guys that we're, you know, have civil disobedience if the Supreme Court rules against us. We're going to do this, and they're yelling and screaming, and we, we believe in the sanctity of marriage. I say, really, now? Now you're upset? Where have you been for the last 40 years, pastor? We believe in the sanctity of marriage. I come over and yelling about adultery and divorce. That's kind of a problem with marriage, don't you think? But now they're yelling bloody murder because of, bloody murder because of gays? Shame on them. We shouldn't be yelling and screaming, going after people, trying to throttle non-Christians who don't act like Christians. That is not our calling. Now, I know there's people, you know, well, I don't want to bake a cake for, you know, a gay. All right. Look, I believe the government shouldn't be able to tell you who you have to do business with or not. That's my personal opinion. Don't clap. I'm not done. <laughs> Having said that, don't be a moron. Now you can clap. You're not going to, what's the matter with you? Bake them the stupid cake. What do you care? Well, I disagree with their lifestyle. What do you disagree with all the fornicators that come in your store? For heaven's sakes. Well, the Bible says we're not supposed to deal with immoral people. You're right. Let's read it. 
1 Corinthians says this. Paul writes, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, but not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral. He's talking about the church or greedy or swindlers or idolaters, whatever you got. In that case, you'd have to leave the world. If you're not going to do business with scumbags, you're going to go out of business. I personally, I don't, don't write me, it's not like I'm going to care. I personally am mortified when I read about some dim-witted person who refuses to do business with someone who's gay. Oh, dear Jesus, they make us all look like idiots. Just, just, what do you care? And if you don't want to do it, find a nice way not to do it. You don't got to beat them up. I ah, just believe that you're a sinner and God doesn't appreciate what you do. Really? Now look, again, those of us who are in business, have been in business, and I used to be in business. I had my own business for, for about 20 years, out of ministry for a while and came back again. But I had a business and we dealt with all kinds of people. Some really bad people. What do you do? You just do business with them. And you try and be as nice as you can to them. You know? Say, well, I'm endorsing what they do. No, you're not. If I sell a, an adulterer a piece of cheesecake, I ain't into the adultery. He just wants the cheesecake here. You know, it's fact. In my business, what we did for years is we wrote and produced music for radio and television. It used to be we could travel all over the country. And on TV, we'd hear our music, and we'd be cruise ships when you hear our music and all this kind of stuff. It was all over the place. Our biggest claim to fame, we had this business, and Tom Washotka, a good friend of mine down in, App, uh, in Oshkosh, uh, did most of the writing and stuff. We produced a, a piece of music that, was, that you can hear in the movie The Bucket List. Uh, if you uh, see the scene where they're going around the country and they land in India and there's this funky dude, it's kind of a cool thing. That was us, okay? Now, I didn't know they were going to do that until I saw the movie. I'm watching the movie going, ah, you know, that's our music, you know. Now, if you look at the credits at the end, you won't see our name, rats, because, because of the licensing music rules that we were under at the time, and it's a long story, you don't want to know, but anyway. But, you know, that's cool to be in a major motion picture like that because of music that we had done, and I remember getting a call from a movie studio. Say, we would like you to score music for a film that we're doing. I thought, great, because I love this stuff. And, and uh, you know, I always wanted to see Mark Gunger, music by Mark Gunger on the screen. Said, what kind of film is it? He says, it's an arts film. Said, oh, great, cool. So it's like, come and... They sit me down, and they start playing the, the film, and it's really a weird movie. It's like, I couldn't tell what the heck was going on. Nothing made any sense. It all kind of weird, bizarre, and you got about a third of the way in, and all of a sudden, everybody was naked. And it wasn't like it made sense naked. You know, like, people were flirting with you. I mean, it's all just normal people. All of a boom, they're all naked. They're like, what the heck is this? Turns out it's a porn film. Now, I can picture... Music by Mark Gunger on that screen. <laughs> this would not play well for me in the long run. Now, I just, I said, whoa, 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 whoa wait a minute. They say, I said, I said, it was a, said it was an arts film. He said, well, that's what we call it. I said, that's not what we call it, you know. And uh, 
but I didn't pull some big crazy. You're a fornicator. You're an abomination. You're the son of God. Someday you're going to be thrown into the fiery ring. It's going to burn with fire and brimstone forever and ever. I just politely found a way to get out of there and hope nobody I knew saw me go in. Just be nice to people, for heaven's sakes. Now, everybody's all free. What's the Supreme Court do? My guess is they're going to rule uh, that it's all going to be fine. So what are you going to do? Nothing. Or if they force you to do it, well, then they go to jail. You go to jail? Yeah, it takes care of my retirement plan. <laughs> At least I won't go hungry. <laughs> I don't care. I don't walk around in fear. And what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Really? Check your medication, people, for heaven's sakes. You know, Americans have lived under a very protective bubble for a long time. Christians all over the world are attacked for what they believe. Now it's finally coming home here. Jesus said, they hated me, they're going to hate you. But let them hate us because of our love and our kindness and our faith, not because we turn around and beat up other people who don't think and agree the way we agree. All right? Be nice to people, for heaven's sakes. Now, to wrap this all up, and I've gone over time, but I can do that. <laughs> I'm the boss. Uh, <laughs> or you get on your trap now. Uh, just real quickly to wrap this up. Uh, I know a lot of you guys are getting ready. You know, you're leaving home. You know, we encourage you to take a year off, you know, get in our Transition One program or some other thing where you serve God for a year. I know not everybody's doing that because it's not a cult and you, we can't make you do stuff. I wish you would listen to us, but... It is what it is. A lot of you are going off to school and college. Uh, you're going to be faced with a lot of stuff, and people are going to attack you deeply and dearly because of who you are, because you are going into a very unfriendly environment that is very anti-Christian in many ways. And let me just encourage you. Hopefully, you'll continue to do what we've taught you to do. The reason we've taught you these things is to be a blessing to you so that your life will succeed, that you will do life right. But listen to me. If you fail and it happens, I know personally two people who were raised in very fundamental church, Pentecostal churches, who wound up doing drugs and became prostitutes. I mean, you talk about falling off the wagon. I mean, it was a big deal. They were in big trouble. They eventually came back to Jesus. I want you to know, people are capable of anything. That's why you want to pray that you don't fall into temptation. That's why we pray the Lord's Prayer. Keep us from temptation. Because anybody's capable of anything. And listen to me, all you young people. If after leaving here and you go out into the world and you fail miserably and horribly and you break into a million pieces, always remember, you can come home here, okay? This is your home. We will not reject you. We will not point fingers at you. We will not condemn you. We will love you. And if you come back to us in a thousand pieces, then we will be like all the king's horsemen and all the king's men who work to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. I hope, for the love of God, that you listen to us. Because it's a very painful path that people end up going that turn away from the path that we've shown you. But always remember, don't ever think, I can never go back. 
Don't ever think I've fallen too far. Don't ever think I've made so many bad decisions and been through so many awful things I could never come back to the church. It's not true. You always have a home here. We will always love you and always care for you. Our prayer is that you will listen to what we taught you and do this right. But no matter what happens out there, you always have a place here. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your truth. Lord, help us to uh, have a hunger and desire to know your truth and your standards and how to live a successful life. Lord, give our hunger and thirst for righteousness so that people will begin to read the Bible and get it inside of them and be able to be blessed and succeed in incredible ways. And Lord, help us always be kind to those who oppose what we believe and challenge and attack what we believe. Help us never to be harsh or mean to anybody. Help us to be no more for our love and kindness, no matter how we're treated, than anything else. And Lord, for our young people that are going off, we pray for them that you would cover them with your grace and kindness, that your Holy Spirit will always be there to remind them of who they are and what they believe. But if they fail miserably, always let them know, Lord, they can always come back to you. Thank you for this. Bless this day, we pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Have a great Father's Day. Amen.